Uh, I guess it's possible that uh, by now some of you may have got the, uh, the idea that, um, that I quite like fishing. And um, that may have just slipped out here and, here and there. Well, my uh, introduction to fishing was in um, Ward End Park Lake. Ward End Park was a public park in uh, sort of east of Birmingham. And uh, not surprisingly, the road next to Ward End Park was called Ward End Park Road. And my nan lived in Ward End Park Road. And I, as a youngster, spent a lot of time at my, my nan's, initially because of family circumstances, but then because she happened to live next to Ward End Park. And so uh, I, I caught my first fish in Ward End Park, absolutely huge. They were about this big, and I was so excited. I put them in a bucket and took them to my nan. She wasn't particularly interested for some reason, but I did show them to her and one or two other people and before taking them back. But then I got used to catching fish in Ward End Park. Because I fished it so often, I knew how to catch fish in Ward End Park, and I caught many fish there. I became an expert in Ward End Park fishing, and that's one of my few claims in life. You may remember when Bob Telford came the other day, he, he referred to going to the church that Kim and I used to go to, and he talked about a guy called Albert. Well, the elder called him Young Albert, but Young Albert was in his 40s or 50s. Young Albert was our youth leader. And Young Albert, because of his nerves, had been recommended by his doctor to start fishing. How about that? And so Albert liked fishing, but he didn't fish Ward End Park very much. But one night when I was fishing in Ward End Park, Albert turned up. And um, so I went over to him. I said, nice to see you, Albert. I said, uh, good to see you having a go here. And he said, yeah. I said, so, you know, how are you fishing? I said, what, what bait have you got, Albert? He said, boiled, boiled potatoes. I said, you're having me on, Albert. He said, no, boiled potatoes. He said, we had a few left over from lunch. He, sa he said, I thought I'd come and give them a go. I said, Albert, look, I know this lake. You know, maggots, worms, bread, sweet corn, luncheon meat, whatever. Yeah, there you'll catch. But boiled potatoes, no. He said, well, I'm going to try boiled potatoes. And, uh, and so I left Albert. I thought there's no point hanging around this guy. I'll go and carry on with my fishing, and, uh, and in fact, I went home, and Albert carried on. I said to him, went up to him on Sunday, I said, Albert, tell me how you did with your boiled potatoes then. He said, I caught the biggest tench in Warden Park Lake. <laughs> I said, no, you didn't. He said, I did. He said, and if you want to, you can come and see it, because it's in my park, it's in my, it's in my garden pond at the moment, just so you can have a look at it. I thought I'd put it there for a week or two, and then I'll take it back. And sure enough, he'd caught the biggest tench in Ward End Park Lake. I learned something that night. Any fool can get lucky. <laughs> Probably what I should have learned is that I had an awful lot to learn myself. That story is slightly relevant to the one that we're going to look at together. But before Chris comes and reads it to us, 
Just to recap where we are in Luke's gospel, right? So Jesus, the man, not the child now, Jesus, the man, baptized in the River Jordan. Jesus, anointed in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, facing and overcoming the temptations of the devil in the desert. Jesus, going forth in power. Jesus, coming to his hometown of Nazareth. And standing up there on the, on, the, on the Sabbath day and being given the prophet Isaiah to read. And reading it where it talks about the year of the Lord's favor. And how that this was good news for the poor, for the oppressed, for prisoners, for the blind. And then sitting there and saying, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And people there looking at him thinking this is this is jesus the carpenter's son come on jesus if you're going to make these claims prove it to us jesus refusing to do so and jesus leaving nazareth we're not told he ever went back to nazareth again and jesus going down the road 20 miles to capernaum where he did works of power in rebuking and casting out demons in healing people, including Peter's mother-in-law and many others in that town, and preaching the good news of the kingdom of God, for that is why he had come and why he would now go to other towns in Judea, because that is why he was sent. And that's where we pick up our reading our story today. So Jesus is by, is by a lake, not a pond, not a park pond, but by a lake, a big lake, 17 miles by 
sorry, 13 miles by 7 miles, I understand. And, uh, of course, known usually as the Sea of Galilee. And there he is, he's teaching. And uh, I guess it was a good place to teach because I guess the lake, in a sense, gave a sort of, sort of natural auditorium where people could, as it were, sit up on the ba- stand or sit on the bank, um, uh, probably going upwards, and Jesus, and probably good in terms of sound as well. But the crowds are so many people wanting to listen that Jesus is getting difficult. They're pushing towards him. You can imagine people wanting to be healed and whatever else. And so we have the first of this conversation between, between Jesus and the fishermen, or in particular with Simon, Simon Peter. We came to come to know him later as Peter. And the first conversation is a bit like this, not actually recorded, but probably went something like this. And Jesus says, uh, Simon, he said, can I borrow your boat for a while? You see, Simon, the other guys, they're, they're, they're getting ready for their evening, their nighttime fishing. And so they're there cleaning, preparing nets and whatever else. And perhaps just a little, they're, they're, they're obviously close by. And Jesus says to Simon, can I borrow your boat? And Simon says, of course you can, Jesus. Not using it now, you feel free. And Jesus said, yeah, well, if I can just push it a few meters out from the, from the bank, that will help in terms of speaking. No problem, says Simon. Take it, use it. And Simon, you see, Simon has got to know Jesus. He's heard his teaching. He's been amazed like the others at his teaching. He's seen the things that Jesus has done in terms of people, in terms of both people's, uh, in, in, every, in every circumstance really for people. And Simon knew there was something very different about Jesus. He was a great teacher. Maybe he's a great prophet. He's working these things out. And so it's not difficult for, for Peter to say, yes, here, yeah, yeah, Jesus, use my boat. The next bit of the conversation is, is after when, the crowd, when Jesus has taught the people, the crowds are now dispersing and it's getting on in the day. And then we read, don't we, that Jesus, and I guess Peter was thinking that, you know, that the boat would come back and in a few, few hours they'd take it out fishing. And Jesus instead says, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon says, verse 5, Master, we've worked all night and haven't caught anything. The subtext is something like this, isn't it? Jesus, I'm a professional fisherman. I know this lake. I know how to fish this lake. I've fished here all my life. I know how to catch fish, and I know that you catch fish at night on this lake. And you know what? We even fished last night, and we didn't catch anything at night. So why do you think we're going to catch now? in the day when you don't fish. He goes on to say, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Pushing the boat out for Jesus and letting him use it was a minor inconvenience. This is something much more, isn't it? This is a major inconvenience. They've been preparing all day to go fishing that night, and now Jesus says, before it's time, let's go fishing. 
before it's time when they would catch, they're going to go fishing now when they won't catch. But he calls him master. He recognized that Jesus has authority and he's someone to be respected and, and indeed even perhaps obeyed. And so Jesus, so Peter says, okay, I'll let down the nets. And I want to picture now as Jesus in the boat with Simon Peter and probably Andrew and maybe one or two others, I don't know. I want to picture Jesus in the boat and then you can certainly read it that way from the text. And they push the boat out into deep water. And there Peter casts, and the others cast out their nets. No doubt thinking, why am I doing this? What a nuisance, what a pain, just wasting time. And as the nets reach their limit in terms of, in terms of uh, where they've gone and, and depth and whatever else, and they start then to pull them back in, they feel the weight of fish. And they know it's fish because they feel the movement. They feel the vibrations in the ropes on the nets as the fish struggle within the nets. And they begin to realize that this is, they've got, not only have they got a catch, but they've got an enormous catch. So much so that they have difficulty pulling it in. And Peter shouts, doesn't he, to the, to the guys, to the other guys, James and John, guys, bring your boats now. We need your boat now. There are so many fish in that net. So many fish that we read that even when they land them, pull them into both boats, both boats are in danger of sinking because of the weight of fish in those boats. More fish than they'd ever caught. You wouldn't forget that, would you? You wouldn't forget that moment. Even if you weren't a fisherman, <laughs> you wouldn't forget that moment. And Simon Peter turns, I think, and looks at Jesus. And there must be many thoughts going through his head, racing through his mind. But I think there's one thought above all others. And the thought is, who are you? Who are you? And we read, don't we? That Simon falls down at Jesus' feet. He says, go away from me. Go, go away. I'm a sinful man. See, Jesus, see, Peter has at that moment had, have a, had, a, had something of a revelation of who Jesus is. And in, in Jesus revealing himself to Peter, Peter is also, Peter also has a revelation of who he is because the two things go together. That this is the Lord. Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. He thought he was a master, someone with authority, someone to be respected, and now he sees he's much more. Much more. Much more than that. Someone he's not even fit to be with 
bit like John the Baptist saying he wasn't even worthy to untie the sandals of Jesus. And Peter is afraid. Rightly afraid. As he's at Jesus' feet. And Jesus looks at this man, humbled before him. And he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You're right, Peter, on both counts. You're right in terms of what you're thinking about me. And you're right in what you think about yourself. They're true. But don't be afraid. Because this is the day of grace. This is the time of salvation. This is the time of good news. This is the time of healing, of recovery, of release. Don't be afraid, Simon. From now on, this is a change moment. Peter, I want to be with you. I want you to be with me. I want you to leave things behind. I want things, things are going to change because the kingdom of God is here. Here, now. It's a tipping point moment in Peter's life. And indeed, I think the other disciples, the other fishermen who are in on this conversation. So don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So don't think, Peter, of catching fish to kill. Think of a lake in which people are drowning. And Peter, you need to catch them. We need to catch them. We need to rescue them. Because this is a day of rescue. A time of salvation. Come and join with me, Peter. Be part of that rescue mission. To rescue drowning, dying people. And we read, don't we? They pulled their boats up on the shore. They left everything and followed him. They left their boats. They left the biggest catch of fish they'd ever had. And they left so much more, didn't they? They left their jobs, their livelihoods, their way of life. They left their family. Imagine Zebedee as he watches James and John walk away. And Zebedee's wife, because we know they had a mother too. Peter's mother-in-law, so he had a wife. They left their family. Others, perhaps. They left their neighborhood, their community. And they walked away with Jesus. He gave them no assurances about what this was about. He didn't set any parameters. He didn't say, in six months' time, you'll be back here. Let's give it six months, see how it goes, and we'll work it out from there. He didn't say it's going to be like this or like that. He didn't say, didn't give them any great promises, assurances, other than 
come with me, come follow me, which is what he said in the other Gospels. And he did say, you're going to catch men, you're going to rescue men and people. Didn't seem to say anything else. I'm sure they'd heard other things having said that. But it's not all defined. It's not all clear cut, is it? And yet he, he calls these people, these men, these fishermen, to follow him, to walk away from everything they've known and to walk into uncertain future. They were to be his followers, his disciples, his apprentices, his fellow workers, to go where he goes and to do what he does. This was a significant day, a day they would never forget, which is why it's recorded in at least three of the Gospels, the day they followed him. Do you think they fully understood who he was? No, they didn't. Do you think they knew what his purpose was, what he was all about? No. They didn't, based on what other things we read subsequently in the Gospels. Do you think they really appreciated what it would mean for them? What the future would look like, how it would work out? No, I don't think they did. Does this mean they were no longer sinful people and that everything was all right and that you know they were, everything was going to be just fine? I don't think so. Here's a question. Do you think they knew about as much about Jesus and his mission as you do? And yet he calls them to follow him. It is all about following him. It is all about a relationship with him. This is what it is all about. Everything else works its way out and follows on from that. This is all about being with him, walking with him. That's what he calls them to. They followed him. It's not defined by what they gave up, leaving the boats on the shore. It's defined in terms of what, why they did that. And they did it to follow him. They left everything and followed him. And primarily this is about relationship. It's not about sacrifice and all those things which they come into. It is about relationship. And out of that relationship, things change. Other things happen. You see, if we don't know him, we won't be able to follow him. We won't want to follow him. We might be able to put up with the minor inconveniences, things that don't make too much difference to us. So therefore, yeah, we might even be able to come to church every Sunday. It's not too much of a thing to ask, is it? I can fit that into my schedule. 
I can put up with that. I can, I can live with that, just like, G- just like Simon Peter. Say, yeah, of course. You can have my boat for the afternoon, push it out a few meters. That's no problem, Jesus. That's okay. You might even be able to make bigger sacrifices than that. Give up more things. You might be able to be quite generous with your time and your money, your resources for church life and Christian activities. There are people who give up masses of stuff for the faith that they have, not just Christian faith, but other faiths. You might be able to do that. But I tell you, we will not, we will not be able to do the things that Jesus wants us to do which means love our enemies as well as our friends, which means love him more than we love anything else, more than our families, more than everything else in our lives. We will not be able to put him first and his kingdom first unless actually we know him and love him, although that love itself is, is, is so weak and, and, and we know needs to grow. Unless we know him, unless we do, unless there is a relationship with him, we will not be able to follow him, to put him first. You see, relationships change things, don't they? And out of relationship, changes can happen. You see, I lived, I lived here, right, got it? The church that I went to was over here, about um, 20 minutes walk, 25 minutes walk, 5, 10 minutes on a bike, whatever else. And I used to go to this place regularly. Well, that's a straight way to walk there. There came a time when going to church, instead of going there, I went this way. Why did I do that? That, by the way, is a longer route to church. I did that because there was someone who lived here. And I wanted to have a relationship with this person. So I started going this way in the hope that I would see her. And in the end, when we were in relationship, I went that way because I wanted to see her, even though it was further. Do you think, do you think when I did that, when I was walking the extra, extra, whatever it was, do you think I said, oh, no, I don't want to walk this extra distance? Do you think I said, you know, this is such a pain. I don't need to do this. I did it because I wanted to do it, right? I did it because it was, the, it was, it was good to do it. That was not any extra effort to go out of my way to church. In fact, I'd go to church just to even walk to see if I could see her. That would be the reality of it. You see, in relationship, things change. Things that we would find difficult to give up, we become able to give up. I was even willing to give up some of my money and pay her bus fares and 
buy her birthday presents and things like that, or even some of the things that I enjoyed, maybe not to go fishing quite so often or football matches or whatever else. You see, I was willing to make, to pay some costs. It was not difficult. If I hadn't been willing to make those costs, in a sense, there would have been another cost, wouldn't there? And the other cost would have been either our relationship would not have been what it was, or our relationship may not have even existed. There may not have been a relationship. And that's it is with being a follower of Jesus. There are costs. Home group notes, you're going to look at some of the things that Jesus said about cost. The most quoted, most quoted passage in the New Testament, sorry, in the Gospels, the most quoted words of Jesus in the New Testament are these, or something like them. This is the one from Matthew. He said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross. And Jesus knew what he meant by that, and they knew what he meant by that. Take up his cross and follow me, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. There is a huge cost. And you will not begin to, to, to make that cost unless you love the person who's asking you to make it. Huge cost. But what about this? What is the cost of not following Jesus? What's the cost of not following Jesus? Here's the cost. The abundant life that he promises us now and for eternity we will not know it. Do you hear that? And I speak this to myself as much as to anybody in front. That if we do not know, if we do not know the disciple, what it, to be a disciple, a follower, an apprentice of the Lord Jesus is, we will not know the abundant life that he wants to give us. Because the two are part of the same These men followed Jesus. They became his disciples, his apprentices. And the more time they spent with him, the more time they watched him, listened to him, tried to follow him, copy him, the more they became like him. And the more the Spirit worked in their lives until there was that final coming anointing of the Spirit that gave them the power to do the things that Jesus wanted them to do to become the people that Jesus wanted them to become, to become those fishers of men, to make Jesus known. And their world, in their world, they made Jesus known in a remarkable way, way beyond human possibilities because God was at work in their lives and they changed their world. 
Okay, so here's the question. The question is very simple. From that passage, the question is, am I, are you, a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? So that if Jesus was standing before us and he says, okay, I want a relationship with you. I know you. I love you. I know you're a sinful person. But I want you to be my followers. I want you to join with me in what, I, in what my God, my Father, has purposed for me and for us and for this world. Will you follow me? You see, I didn't ask you are you a Christian? You see, not there's anything wrong with that, but there is something wrong in a sense that we now think of a Christian as someone who's asked, recognized their need, their sinfulness, they've asked God for forgiveness, and they think, therefore, they're going to go to heaven with them when they die. That's the very basis, the very bottom line that it's come to mean. And the Bible doesn't talk about Christians New Testament only mentions the word three times. It mentions disciple 269 times. See, the Bible doesn't know Christianity without discipleship. There's not two stages. There's not, you know, the ordinary Christian who does the things, you know, that we sort of do, and then there's the disciple, the super guy, you know, the, 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 the radical, the one who's sold out for Jesus, the missionary, the whatever else, the fast-track, fast-track graduate intake type situation. It doesn't know that. The Bible doesn't know that. The New Testament only knows about disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. People who are willing to leave everything, including the things that they left, to make those, to put those into second place so that he's in first place and the kingdom of God and seeking the kingdom of God is in first place. That's all the New Testament knows. So am I a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you willing? Are you willing to follow him? Recognizing the cost, am I willing to follow him? Am I willing to put him first in my decision making, in every decision? Am I willing to say, Lord Jesus, I want to do what you would want me to do here? And that will apply to the big things and the small things. For him to be first in my life, before my family, my work, my ambitions, my security. For him to be first. To be an apprentice. Apprentice is someone who learns on the job with a teacher. Are you willing to be an apprentice in 2015 with Jesus, the teacher? And for him to show you things and then for you to do them. And for all, that, all of that to be in the context of walking with him and knowing him. And to know the abundant life that he promises.
That's the question I think he asks each of us. Imagine what it would be for Peter and those guys if they hadn't followed. If they'd done the, the, in a sense, the normal thing and just said, no, actually we're fishermen, Jesus. We're fishermen. This is our life. What abundant life would they have missed out of? And on their deathbeds, I think they would have had so many regrets. Jesus offers us abundant life to walk with him in relationship. And if we do, we will make Jesus known. All these other things will work their way out. I have been so challenged as I prepared for this. I, have no, I am in no fit person to stand up here and say the things that I've said this morning. I don't, I don't, if you think I'm standing higher than you, you're wrong. But by God's grace, I want to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. I also am a sinful man. And like you, I'm loved by him. And he calls me to follow him. And he calls you to. Come and enter in to the life that I have planned for you. It will cost you everything. But what you gain, as he said to Peter later on, what you gain will be so much more than ever the cost. If you'll be my followers, my disciples. And walk with me. May God, by his grace, make these things real in, in my life and in your lives too.